Let's now turn to the book of Proverbs, and we'll read from chapter 3, the first 18 verses of Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot be, cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Let's also turn in our book of forms and prayers to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39. Lord's Day 39, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand, God wills to rule us. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 39 is uh, rather short when it comes to the, the number of words in this uh, catechism question and answer. In that respect, we might say it is like the commandments themselves, which for the most part are very brief. Uh, the fifth commandment in Exodus says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And even in the, the brevity, the shortness of the Ten Commandments, we are to see God's wisdom and God's love. They're memorable. They're, they're concise. Uh, they're uncomplicated as to their essential meaning. But like all the commandments, the, the fifth commandment also covers a huge area of life. We might see it as a building block to a, a Christian that is a true worldview. It has to do with authority. And authority is something that is inescapable. You're going to have to serve somebody, uh, Bob Dylan saying years ago. And the atheist or the unbeliever uh, cannot escape authority structures in life. But the problem for them is that without God and without His Word, they cannot understand those authority structures truly. 
They cannot respect them truly for the right reasons. And that's because they do not understand nor respect the fact that every lawful kind of authority is from God. God established it. God defined it. God limits it. And without that understanding of authority, uh, you have nothing but power struggles. Remove theology from your view of, of authority and you only have winners and losers. You've, you have those who arrogantly uh, occupy positions on top and you have many who uh, resentfully find themselves beneath others, fighting perhaps to remove them, fighting perhaps to replace them. And that leads to misery. That leads to strife, conflict, anarchy, ultimately. But God gave his liberated people his law. And to those who are wise in Christ, because wisdom ultimately comes from Christ, it is a law of liberty. And that includes God's will for for my submission. You notice the language of the uh, catechism like, uh, the other commandments is very personal when it asks, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? God commands us to respect all those in authority. That's a simple, obvious summary of, uh, the fifth commandment. Uh, but we want to add that this submission, of course, must be by faith, uh, with an understanding of God's word and with submission ultimately to God. As the, as the very foundation for it. We, by, we begin by considering the fifth commandment as a commandment that is foundational for life. And that means to start with that, that parents have priority. In other words, honor and obey mom and dad. That comes first. The fifth commandment, you understand, is the first commandment of the second table of the law. It's the first commandment of the six that pertain to our relationship with our neighbor. And it begins that second table of the law. The first commandment of that second table begins with the assumption of the most basic creational reality of the structure of life as God has defined it. And that involves Mom and dad. In, in Proverbs chapter three, we hear the opening words, my son, do not forget my law. And yes, much of the instruction here in the book of Proverbs is in the language of a father to his son. But that's not the whole picture. In the first chapter, we read, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Those are parallel statements. They go together. And it's not just sons that are addressed by a father in this passage. Chapter 4 begins, Hear my children, the instruction of a father. Early on in this book, as we consider the, the, the revelation of wisdom from God, we have parents addressing their children with the ways of God, the ways of pleasantness, the ways of peace, the ways of true wisdom and goodness. The evil one hates the family. 
And a godless world hates the family, increasingly so. As godlessness increases, so the hatred of the family increases. A godless state thinks that it owns the children. And a godless education aims at undoing the influences of parents. All those influences that a godless world judges to be incompatible, inconsistent with its godless agenda. And we hear more and more of horror stories along these lines. We hear of, we hear of grade school teachers helping children to change their clothes, change their gender, and change their pronouns when they enter the classroom without the parents' knowledge. Contrary to their parents' consent, and you've got teacher feel, teachers feeling really righteous about this because they're undoing these backwards religious views that are restrictive and harmful and contrary to their safe practices when it comes to inclusiveness in this godless society. And the solution to that, brothers and sisters, is not simply to attend town hall meetings and make your voice known and protest it. There may be a place for that, but when you recognize that you're up against a godless system, and this is like the tip of the spear in our current society. This is the tip of the iceberg. The solution is to fire those teachers. They work for you. And to hire other ones. And put your children in a place or teach them at home where the principles of wisdom and the truth of God's word will be taught. Parents come first, and they come first with respect to the training ground of a true view of authority. The family is God's training ground for life. When this Lord's Day speaks of honoring all those in authority, it is picking up on a basic principle of the fifth commandment, and that is that respect for authority is is indeed a basic principle. That is, it is a rule of life to guide our thoughts, to guide our conduct in multiple relations throughout our lives. And God wants us to be trained in this. And he wants us to be trained in this from our very infancy. And he wants that training to occur in a context of tender, loving care and commitment and a sense of responsibility before God for nurturing children in fundamental principles of life. And that involves respect for authority, beginning with honoring and obeying mommy and daddy. Yes, he established the closest and the natural relationship in which to do this. And children, I hope you appreciate now, and I hope that you increasingly appreciate over time the tremendous blessing of having a mom and dad who care for you enough to teach you, enough to correct you, enough to make you submit to their rules and do what they want you to do, sometimes saying because they told you so, and doing so in a way that you come to understand that they hold that position over you, not simply because they brought you into this world, not simply because they are bigger than you and it can enforce their wills, but because God gave them that responsibility. And it's a blessed thing to have that privilege of those who care for what is truly good for you. Enough to cross your will. 
go contrary to what you want, even to correct you because they love you. And you're getting training in the knowledge of God who will correct you throughout your life as a Christian because he loves you just as a father disciplines a child whom he loves. The family is training ground for life, and that involves an understanding of authority that should be nurtured in that context of the closest, dearest, loving relationship that God has appointed, and that is the family. You know that respect for authority is a practice for everyone. It's not for, it's not simply for children in the home. It takes different forms. But most of us here are both in authority and under authority in different ways. And, uh, and that's good. And we want to know our place, to put it bluntly. Know your place. You've heard that expression. And that resonates with the sound of, of oppression. And, uh, it, it sounds like a put down. But actually, it's a good thing to know your place. And actually, from a biblical worldview, it involves a measure of security. It involves a measure of freedom. It involves clarity on what your task is. What your, it's like, know your place. Stay in your lane. Staying in your lane is a good thing to do when you're driving down the road. You have freedom and security within your lane. You move out of your lane when you ought not to move out of that lane, and contrary to the law, the danger is that you're going to have an accident. And so to know our lane in that sense, to know the place that God has appointed for us in various relationships involves a kind of safety and a freedom. Those lanes aren't so narrow and restrictive. They're good. And within those lanes, there is confidence in carrying out your task. There is a kind of authority as you do so under God. You see, people who do not know their place under God, they do not know themselves. They do not have a true knowledge of who they are as creatures, living in structures that God has appointed from the very beginning. And so that's another way of saying that they're lost. They're lost. They don't know their place in the world. They really don't know how to relate to other people according to the way God has defined things. So the fifth commandment is a basic foundational commandment for life that is based upon a knowledge of who we are in the concrete reality of our individual existence in relationship with others, in the family, in civil society, in the church, in a whole variety of relationships. So secondly, it's a commandment for proper submission and obedience. Submission and obedience. These are basic Bible words that describe a variety of relationships. We heard a number of them in uh, Colossians chapter 3, where we read, Children, obey your parents in all things. Or in verse uh, 20 or 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There's another passage in Titus where Paul instructs Titus to uh, teach the older women 
to teach the younger women to love their children, to love their husbands, and to obey their own husbands. There, There's that word obey in the Bible with respect to the relationship of wives to husbands. So you have these words. You have uh, words like uh, submission addressed to servants in verse 22. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. In 1 Peter chapter uh, chapter 2, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. We have such language used with respect to citizens of the state. Let everyone be subject to the authorities, for every authority is from God. He who resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. That's why we are to be submission for conscience sake before God. Such language is used with respect to relationships uh, towards spiritual authority in the church. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read in verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. That's with reference to spiritual leadership in the church. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Now these are some of the basic relationships in life that involve these words. Submission, obedience. When you make profession of faith, you promise to submit to the government of the church. And you promise to submit to that government in case you become delinquent And you promise to submit to its admonitions and its discipline. Whenever whenever anyone bolts from church discipline, when that discipline is exercised according to God's word, they're breaking their vow. They're breaking a solemn promise before God where they acknowledge their belief and their acceptance of these structures that God has appointed, even in the church. Words like submit and obedience... Now, these don't resonate with positive vibes in our society, do they? They just don't. In fact, everything in our culture, and brothers and sisters, to be honest, everything in our fallen nature recoils from these ideas. Submit, that means to be under. That means to yield to the position or the will of another And do you know that that is something that the devil will never willingly do? And do you know that the first temptation to Eve and Adam was to get out from under God's authority and judge it for themselves as to whether or not it's reasonable and fair and good and worthy of their submission? And do you know that it is a reflection of a devilish attitude when people take pride in saying, I don't answer to no one. I don't let anyone tell me what to do. Why don't you just advertise the fact that you're like the devil? No, submission is not something that resonates in a positive way with this world. But the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, what did he do? He took upon himself the form of a slave, and he was obedient. He was obedient, obedient, day after day, unto death the death of the cross. And when he was a 12-year-old boy, a true man, true boy, he was subject to his parents. 
And God calls us as those who have been freed from the bondage of sin and Satan's thraldom to recognize that his will is good and to willingly submit ourselves to it. That's a deliberate activity that our catechism describes, isn't it? Submit myself. That's the, that's the language that it uses. Submit myself with proper obedience. In other words, that means that it's not simply an outward compliance toward others, but an inward disposition toward myself, first of all. So that I willingly put myself under. I recognize that by God's appointment, I am under in terms of a position, and that I willingly put myself under in obedience to God. In other words, it's a matter of the heart. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands with an inward disposition of willing compliance to the goodness of God's commands. That's part of proper uh, obedience and submission that the catechism uh, speaks of here. And that includes our response to correction and discipline. That I submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. But proper also means something else, right? Proper also means that there are limits to such obedience and submission. You remember the classic passage in Acts chapter uh, 5 when the apostles were forbidden by the Sanhedrin to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. In fact, they even they even challenged these leaders to judge for themselves whether it's proper that they should yield obedience to them rather than God. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, that does not mean that every time we disagree with something that we're told on the, by an authority means that we rebel against that and reject it because we disagree with it. You know that, that the test of submission is disagreement, right? That's when it becomes submission. Otherwise, it's like a partnership. You're told what to do and you agree with it. You think it's a good idea. That's that's agreement. Submission is when you might think that's not a good idea, or you prefer something else, but you submit. I think it's a helpful thing to remember. The criteria for submission is not simply agreement or disagreement. The criteria for submission is disobeying God, if that's what is required in order to obey man. And then we say we ought to obey God rather than man. There's a difference there, isn't it? We are to be patient as we confess with their failings, their lack of wisdom at times, their lack of fairness perhaps at times. We're to be patient with that. And when we do have to disobey, that's not the same thing as a total rejection of their authority. It's a refusal to comply in a particular matter, but it's not a rejection of their authority. It's not a withdrawal of all respect and honor from them. If we must disobey, we must do so in a respectful way. When obeying man means disobeying God, we must disobey man in order to obey God. Now, I know it's easier to say 
than to actually apply in the complexities of our lives uh, as that uh, pertains to uh, civil authorities or as it may pertain to some really bad family situations or marriages. So I'm not suggesting that it's a simple and easy thing to apply, but it's at least a, a, a basic rule to start with. There are limits to this submission and obedience because God always must uh, remain the ultimate authority whom we serve, whether in our uh, obedience and submission to others or in our disobedience to them in order to obey God. But that means that this is thirdly a commandment that requires faith. In Proverbs 3, we have these wonderful words, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own lo- your own eyes. In Colossians 3, verse 17, uh, verse 17 is indeed a foundational passage where it says, In whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. And so this matter of submission uh, to authorities is to be exercised in faith. And it's a faith that sees God's hand in earthly authority. That's that's the language of our catechism. The reason why we are called to obey and submit is that by their hand, God wills to rule us. In other words, God doesn't rule us simply directly and immediately by his word, But he rules us also in relationships where his word requires us to submit to and obey earthly authorities for his sake. There are no perfect authorities on earth, not one. But our perfect God uses imperfect people to represent him. And this is such a foundational principle again, isn't it? This matter of faith. What does unbelief do? Unbelief magnifies men. Unbelief sees persons, also those in positions of authority, as so important and so big in their eyes that they obscure, if you will, the vision of God. But faith knows that all people are small. That includes all people in authority. They're just creatures. They're human beings like we are. In themselves, they're not so great. They may be foolish. They may be unwise. It's God's providence and sometimes his mysterious providence that places certain people in high positions of authority, which seem to be so incompetent, unworthy of their calling. And yet we recognize that they occupy positions which God in his sovereignty has placed there. And if they're to be removed, it is to be removed by lawful means. But that involves faith. That involves seeing people as little, but behind them is a big God. And our submission to them is not really with an eye to them so much as with an eye to God, who is pleased to govern us by their hand. And that means that faith serves God in submission to people. That's what Paul told these slaves there in Colossae. He reminded them of their calling and responsibility to be subject to their masters. But then he says, but you serve the Lord Christ. 
Ultimately, your service and obedience, even to a, an earthly master, is the service of Christ. Now, we might say, well, that was a situation where they had literal slaves. That has very little to uh, teach us. We don't have slaves today, at least not in North America, at least not overtly, and thankfully. But in a sense, that very fact should help us to see that there's something very profound in the instruction that, that the Holy Spirit gives to slaves. In other words, even in that kind of situation where the whole institution was characterized by sin and injustice, there was a call to faith. There was a call to slaves in that miserable situation to serve Christ in the context of that situation. Well, we might say, well, then how much more ought we to be willing and able to see God's hand, God's authority in those structures in which we live and yield our service and obedience to God in them? There's this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 that is so fascinating in this regard, uh, where God speaks uh, to the Apostle Paul concerning the calling of Christians to serve him in the context in which they live. He says, were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he is he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. In other words, a Christian who is called into union with Jesus Christ, has been liberated from the bondage of sin and slavery to men. Now, that doesn't mean that they're immediately released from that actual situation of servitude under an earthly master, but they're not to perceive it uh, with a slave mentality. They are the Lord's freed man. And when they yield obedience to their master, they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then just the opposite. It says, likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Yeah, we're not, we're not servants to people. In fact, the next verse says, you are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, Paul is not contradicting. He's not overthrowing the fact that there are structures in life in which we yield submission and obedience to others, but we don't do so as slaves. Children do not honor and obey their parents as slaves to a master. Wives do not submit to their husbands as slaves of their superior husband. The characteristic of this service that runs throughout all these instructions with respect to these different positions that we occupy, it's always in the Lord. It's fitting in the Lord as unto Christ. Faith sees God. Faith serves God. And faith seeks God's blessing and reward. The fifth commandment is referred to in the New Testament as the first commandment with promise. Because there's a promise attached to it. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And Paul actually repeats that promise in his letter to a Gentile church in Ephesians. We'll come to that eventually where he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. It's no longer the land of Palestine there. It's the promise of life on the earth. It doesn't mean that every obedient child will live to be old. It's a general rule and principle. And ultimately the fullness 
of uh, such a promise is fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth in which all God's children will live forever. That seems to be what Paul is referring to in in, uh, Colossians when he says to slaves, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Slaves don't inherit, right? Slaves aren't included in the will typically, but sons and daughters are. And those who serve the Lord Christ in all the different relationships of life they'll receive that internal inheritance that God promises to his children. Proverbs 3, so many of the problems elaborate on the blessings, uh, the, the goodness of God's ways and will for us with the promise of health, promises of, of peace. All his ways are, are ways of pleasantness. Don't you see that? Don't you see that sometimes, brothers and sisters, when it, when you look at children and young people in this lost world, there's a sense in which there's no one that's more miserable than the child or a young adult who has no boundaries, who has no self-control, who has no manners, who has not been taught these things from their childhood, with uh, with parents who patiently and perseveringly will to will correct them and in time see the fruit of their instruction. People without these things are miserable to themselves and to everyone around them. And often they end up adopting practices of living that are so destructive to their happiness and their freedom and their health. They ruin themselves. God's ways are good. God's ways are ways of blessing, prosperity. First of all, the prosperity of soul and peace and very often other ways of God's blessing. These are rewards of grace, not of slaves who have endured drudgery in order to get a payoff. I am your servant, we sing. I am your servant. You have loosed my bonds. You have delivered me from bondage. And now I'm a willing servant. You see, through faith in Christ, we are freed from spiritual slavery, of going our own way, doing our own things, being the master of our own fates, having a proud and rebellious attitude towards others and to every authority structure, or yielding begrudging submission because you don't want to face the punishment. No, we've been freed by grace. And you know what? That grace even frees us to love the ways in which God rules us. To see his wisdom and his goodness so that we yield glad obedience. That's freedom. That's the the kind of freedom that the world cannot understand. It's the kind of freedom under the law. I will walk at liberty, the psalmist says, because I seek your precepts. The way of God's commandments is the way of liberty for those who have been redeemed in Christ. Amen.